Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Okay. Um, all right, here's the good news. Uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm done with that for now. Uh, and what we're going to be talking about this week is lament. Uh, we've, we've started last week, and just a, as we started the new year, uh, three weeks on the disciplines and practices, uh, which we always do every year, but this year is a little bit different. Um, and I did not alter the sermon at all for today. Uh, uh, it, certainly it informed a little bit, but, um, but there are undertones of the weight that we are facing right now. So, um, <clears throat> toward the end of the summer of 2015, uh, the New York Mets were a game behind the Washington Nationals uh, for first place in, in the final playoff run. And the Milwaukee Brewers were 20 and a half games behind the central leading St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, and they were looking to make some trades for different reasons. The Mets needed to add a power bat in the middle of their lineup. They thought they needed a little bit more offense. The Brewers were wanting to offload some money. And so they began talking with each other and conversing to make a trade. Um, the Brewers had this guy, center fielder, Carlos Gomez, and who ironically came from the Mets a few years earlier, and they had watched him develop a little bit, and he'd done okay, but the contract was getting a little bit heavy. They didn't want to pour into him much in the future, and so they were looking to trade him, and maybe for a long-term reliever or more of a utility infielder, just trying to get rid of some, some of the payroll. And so they contacted the Mets, uh, and the Mets had a young, uh, younger utility infielder that would be much cheaper, could also grow and develop a little bit by the name of uh, Wilmer Flores. And so the management talked, and they made the deal, and the deal went down. Now, when the deal happened, uh, the Brewers were flying back from San Francisco back to Milwaukee. They were on the plane. Uh, the deal went down. Craig Council, the manager of the Brewers, called Carlos Gomez up to the front of the plane and said, hey, man, uh, you've been traded to the Mets. And they hugged. He went and hugged all of his teammates. They took selfies together. They had the rest of the, plane, the flight to kind of digest all of that stuff that was going down. Wilmer Flores, however, the Mets were in the middle of a game. And if you're a general manager, especially in a playoff hunt, you don't want to give up a player for a game, so you don't say anything beforehand. And so he hadn't told the manager, he hadn't told the players, he hadn't told anybody. But sure enough, as is our day, social media picked up on it, and it got out there. Wilmer Flores gets up to bat in the bottom of the seventh inning and gets a standing ovation. Okay? And then he grounds out, and as he's running off the field, he gets a standing ovation. And so he goes back to the dugout, and he tells a friend, he asks one of his teammates, he's like, um, what's going on? <laughs> why, why are they clapping for me? And his, his teammate said, I don't know, man, let me, let me go check. So his teammate went back to the back, got his phone, went back to the clubhouse, got his phone, came back out and said, uh, guess what? You've been traded. Wilmer Flores was drafted at 18 by the Mets out of Dominican Republic. It's the only organization he knew. He'd been there. He's 25, 26 years old. It hits him pretty heavy. Not only that, but the manager still doesn't know. The manager, he goes back out to play shortstop in the bottom of the uh, top of the eighth inning. 
and he's hurting. So the cameras are zoomed in on him. The announcers are pontificating if he knows and what all he knows and what he must be feeling right now while this young 25, 26-year-old professional ball player is trying to wipe the tears from his face with his sleeve, with his glove, pulling his hat down low, just trying to play the game and hold it together. And of course, lots of responses in that moment from an outpouring of support, so that's so sweet, to mocking him for not being man enough and and it's, what's the big deal? You get paid millions of dollars. How in the world could you possibly be upset? Stuff like that. Uh, he he kind of became a meme for a little bit. After all, there's no crying in baseball. And now what's interesting is the trade, various reasons and reports on what happened, but the trade actually did not end up going through. And at the end of that week, the Mets were playing the Nationals. In the final game of their series, Wilmer Flores hit a walk-off home run to win the game. It's kind of cool. There's a weird thing. I don't know what it is. Uh, well, I do, actually. Uh, it, it's, a, it, it's, in, it's not only in our cultural day, but it's kind of Western history. Uh, there is a thing about emotions, about crying about being perceived as weakness, about masculinity and being a man and what does it mean and how do we deal with emotions. And, and it's, it, that's primarily directed toward men, but there's a lot of unfair criticism that goes toward women as well. Um, and yet, we look here, this young professional baseball player is called on to keep it all together out there in the middle while all of America watches and then reviews and scrutinizes and has their opinion. Um, in fact, some people speculated that that's why the trade failed. They said Carlos Gomez didn't pass the physical, but some people wonder if it's, you can't trade a guy that is weeping. So last week we talked about suffering. We talked about walking with God in, the, in, in pain and suffering every day, but even into suffering. Um, and this week we're going to talk about lament, weeping with God in pain and suffering, bringing our junk uh, to God. And then next week, we'll talk about walking. So none of these are complete and full. How do we walk day by day facing the reality of suffering? Um, so that word lament can incorporate a whole lot of emotions. It can incorporate sadness or anger or fear or frustration or doubts, desperation, confusion. And the question of lament is not, do you feel these emotions? Yes, you do. We all feel them. But what do you do with them? Where do you take them? How do you process them? Now, you might be asking some questions about emotions. Can we, in that like psychobabble, do we deal with emotion? What isn't that? Do we, are we sure? Can we really trust our emotions? Let me give you this answer confidently. No, you can't. Neither can you trust your thoughts. So we'll take the, we'll take, that, that's not a, an either or. You cannot trust your emotions, which is why it's necessary and critical to look at where we take them and also the gift that God gives us to deal with those. They are gifts from God. 
Uh, the medieval church, what had grown influential in the medieval church, heavily influenced by Rome, uh, the medieval church had grown to uh, basically what had happened and become very institutionalized, and this idea of meriting salvation or achieving or accomplishing salvation. And one of the ways to merit salvation was to endure suffering. And so if you would just endure suffering, it was purifying, it would make you holy, and in some ways merit or achieve or work toward that end of salvation. So people would... would engage, actually kind of pursue suffering, but they wouldn't do it with like this, this actually participating in the suffering. They would do it with a numbness or a, or a, a, a stoic kind of dead, we're, we just, this is just what we have to go through. So the reformers came along and the reformers sought to, to correct the theology. Uh, and so what the, formers, what the reformers brought in is salvation is not by merit, it is by Christ alone, faith alone in Christ alone, which was, which was glorious, it, a, a gr glorious correction uh, of Scripture. Uh, it's, it is a glorious correction that I hold to and that I hope in. Um, that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was enough. That people would find our joy and our hope of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. However, what they also did in the application of that truth, I'm going to call it academic or theological truth, in the application of that theological truth from Scripture, uh, there was, the Reformers also have a, had a very huge hesitancy about people tending to, to doubt the sufficiency of Christ or to question the sufficiency of Christ. And so they began to really... Uh, warn against things like doubt or struggle or emotion or sadness in an effort to make sure everybody truly held to the sufficiency of Jesus, it was frowned upon to think or vocalize anything other than that. And ironically, what that produced that had heavy influence still on the way that we read Scripture in our Western eyes today, what that produced is the same kind of stoicism when it came to this gift of lament. Being able to struggle, being able to wrestle with God, to, to wrestle with doubt. The truth of Christ alone and the neglect of lament carry heavily into our Western modern views of Scripture. But I want to assure you that the Bible is filled, filled with people in their struggle, people in their doubt, people in their sorrow and sadness. Jesus himself is prophesied to be a man of sorrows. So the, the Scripture this morning, I'm, I'm going to give you kind of a diving board and then we're going to kind of go back and look through as, and then we'll... Uh, We'll hammer into more specific next week, but the scripture this morning, when Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus does is the Beatitudes are basically the characteristics of a citizen of God's kingdom. What are the character traits of a citizen of citizens of God's kingdom? And in Matthew 5, verse 4, the second attribute that he gives, Jesus says this, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
if you look back and read through Scripture, if you look back and read through um, many of the people in Scripture, what we don't see, we don't see a bunch of people who just think positively. Uh, we don't see a bunch of people who don't cry because God's in control. Uh, we see people who mourn and cry and weep, not because they don't trust God, but because they do. Because they are bringing this mourning and even doubts and even angst to him. I was reading a couple weeks ago in Genesis 50. Uh, Genesis 50 is where Joseph goes to bury his father Jacob. If you, if you read this week, I gave assignment. I know there was distraction a uh, little bit. Um, and uh, over the story of Joseph, but when Joseph in Genesis 50 is reconciled with his father and then his father dies and gives the blessing, uh, and then Joseph takes his father and, and buries him and he takes this large contingency and they're there in this land that, that uh, Jacob wanted to be buried in and it says they're weeping so loud that the neighboring nation was like, man, Egypt experienced a heavy loss. They're really crying loud. So the neighboring nation heard them. That's how loud they were weeping. The Psalms are filled with David's lament over and over again. David laments his grief and sadness. He laments his own sin. He laments to God over his enemies. Psalm 109, I don't know if you've ever read Psalm 109. Um, take a look. It's, it can get a little disturbing. Uh, David is bringing his immense anger uh, about his enemies to God that their days would be few and that their orphan children would walk the street begging for bread. Like, that's elaborate. That's planned out. Yet David does not carry this out. He brings this before God to trust his judgment and his justice in his time. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, Jeremiah wept over the corruption of the nation of Israel. He wept over God's people who were politically idolatrous, priests who had, were more consumed with the well-being of the state, priests who had made deals with Egypt uh, to cease from having to trust God. In, in Jeremiah's anguish in chapter 20, in the middle of chapter 20, he sings a praise to the Lord and then he immediately asks God to delete his birth date from the annals of time. And then after this lament, Jeremiah has to go to the king and tell him that Jerusalem will indeed fall, the temple will fall to Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah also wrote the book of Lamentations, which is an entire book dedicated to lament. And the setting is actually quite surreal. If you step into this setting, uh, the temple of God, what had been looked forward to and promised since the time of David, since God brought uh, brought Israel out of Egypt, the temple of God, his dwelling place, a sign among the nations uh, that God would dwell with his people, the epitome and arrival of God. It was indestructible because our God is far more powerful than any other God. The temple has been destroyed. And not only that, God ordained that the temple would be destroyed, his own temple, because of the sins of his people. And who would the temple be destroyed by? Babylon, chief enemy number one. The, the origins of Babylon, 
range from the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, the people are identified basically as their hearts and minds set against God. These are the people that God ordains to destroy the temple and bring judgment on his people for becoming more consumed with themselves than with the nations around them. And he starts Jeremiah, he starts lamentations with this word. If you can picture him walking through the rubble of the temple, looking around in disbelief, and he says, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. And he spends two and a half chapters and he's lamenting the fall of the city and the wickedness of the priests and the religious leaders uh, and, and all of the selfish gain that they pursued, nation above the greatness of God and they sold their trust to the highest bidder and he gets angry at God for letting this happen. He runs out of tears. He gets angry at God's people. He is so just in utter grief and then out of nowhere like a lush green oasis in the middle of the desert, in the middle of chapter three, Jeremiah writes, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And if you know this, you can sing with me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Great is your faithfulness. In the midst of crying out, in the midst of arguing with God and getting angry with God and God's people, what Jeremiah experiences is the comfort and presence of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And this is what we forfeit when we don't take our lament to God and seek to manage it or compensate for it or overcompensate for it on our own. This is what we forfeit when we seek to take the fate of the world into our own hands. This is what we forfeit when we plot our own revenge. This is what we forfeit when we suppress our sadness or our anger or our frustration, when we deny reality or if we just try to remain indifferent with trite sayings on coffee mugs. We forfeit the comfort of the Lord. When we lament, when we're angry or fearful or frustrated, confused or sad, God says, come to me. And this is hard for me because God does say come to me, but he also says this, come to me directly in private prayer, but also come to me via my people. And why this is hard for me is because I always want to give answers. I always feel the pressure to give answers. Well, if you, you, you know, here's what we can do, here's what we can, but here's what God invites us to do in this time. When someone says I'm struggling, God invites his people to surround them and go, I'm sorry. I'm with you. Psalm 109, if you've ever read that through here again, David does not demonstrate the proper attitude toward our enemies. 
What David does demonstrate, that's not what the point of the psalm is. What David does demonstrate is the proper way to take our anger, the proper place to take our anger with our enemies. And in the middle of the psalm, he turns and says, but you, O Lord, deal on on my behalf for your name's sake because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. And then from there, David's eyes begin to turn away from his anger and toward God's redemption. Lament is God's gift to us to come to him in honesty and in vulnerability with everything, even our hurt, especially our hurt. Um, Last week I talked about this book, The Shepherd's Life and the Necessity of Walking with God in Every Season, Summer, Winter, Fall, Spring, and not trying to, we're not trying to arch our way towards summer in an easy life, but we walk with God in every season. And that there's a danger in seeking to avoid or deny or circumvent seasons, but rather to quote Paul, to learn how to be content in all circumstances, whether in plenty or want. Um, and he talks often about the season of winter, and winter can be a difficult season. And it feels like we've been in winter for a long, long time. But he gives this description, so I just want to read this. Winter is my swollen, pig-like fingers throbbing under the hot tap, thawing out as I howl unheard blasphemies at the stinging pain. Winter, it is my bloodshot eyes in the mirror as I finger out hayseeds. It's snowflakes or hailstones hitting me in my face as I drive the quad bike into the wind. Snow or rain becoming perfect lines like those scenes in Star Wars when ships go to warp speed and the stars transcend. Winter is my father's neck in front of me, steaming with rain as we catch an old ewe that is unwell. Ewes grabbing desperately at hay, having uh, in a storm before the wind robs them of rations. Lambs lying dead, defeated before they've even started. Winter is hay racks and trees blown over, torn and smashed. These are days when the wind blows right through you, filling you with a sense of hopelessness. Days when the sheep stand sourly behind the walls, short, sullen, dark days in winter, when you're just holding on. Days when you can hardly stand up You can't help but be aware that the man is but a feeble thing in a hostile universe that doesn't care. In our lives, the spiritual sense, winter brings broken relationships, financial crisis, sickness, pain, walking with other people and suffering, continual relentless national conflict. Winter is hard, it's no doubt, and yet there's still work to be done and you still have to get up every morning, which seems somewhat unfair but there are things that can seemingly only take place in the harshness of winter, if we allow it, when we learn to bring our lament before God and to one another. He says the bond between shepherd and flock is formed mostly in these cruel months. I know for me, sometimes it feels like I'm hanging on by a thread. Um, But sometimes hanging in there and simply persevering is what God is wanting to do most in you. Sometimes that's thriving. To learn to trust in the middle of winter, which means we have to be willing to embrace and endure it. To learn to trust him and grow in communion with one another about our, in our honesty and confessing our hurts and fears to one another. Learning how to care for and about each other when that's all we have. And then to experience that our idols and our idolatry and the things that we uh, are tempted to often put our hopes in 
then when we're actually willing to deal with this and engage winter, they won't follow us there. But God is still there, and he is still at work. Going back to the book, he says, we are weathered like, a mountain, like the mountain ash trees that grow here. They bend away from the wind and are battered and torn and twisted, but they survive here. And through it all, they belong here because of it. That weathering makes us what we are. Paul puts it this way when he talks about rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God in Romans 1. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Even in the middle of winter, there is hope. Even in the middle of lamentations, there is this bright, lush, place of respite in the presence of God. Here's what we're going to do now. We're actually going to walk through a practice of lament, a liturgical practice. Uh, I'm going to have Tiffany come up here in just a minute uh, and lead us through an actual practice of lament. Now, this might be new to you, um, but please know this is not new. This is not like something that we just thought up and thought, oh, here's a new kind of This has been around, it may not have been in our field of view, but this practice has been around for a very long time. And I'm gonna ask, especially if you're here, to to be able to engage with this. Um, And if you are in a spot, if if you're at home, this will be easier, but if you're in a place of uh, just needing to let it out, I want you to know that it's okay to let it out. Um, Several years ago, every once in a while, I'll, I'll, get in my car and I'll either drive north or south and just kind of get out of the city for a day. And it's not my off day. I'm getting paid for it. Uh, and, um, and I'll go uh, just to, to get away from the city. And a few, a couple years ago I was doing that and I had an old Michael W. Smith. It just, I don't know, it, I was in the morning and I was playing Place in This World and I, I had to pull over. I was crying um, so hard. Um, and, uh, and what was weird, I don't know if you've ever had this, where you've just had a moment that hits you, where you weep, and then something in that, that God resets or recenters or does something, and after it, you're like, I just feel better. I feel the presence of God. It's when we deny that and try to overcompensate and try to suppress and squish and, oh, we're not gonna, we just need to hammer down and, No, we need to repent, we need to bring our requests before God, we need to bring our angst and our anger and our anxiousness and all of that stuff before God. So I've asked Tiffany to to come up and lead us through a time of corporate lament. If you are at home, I want to encourage you that lament is not just for adults. I think that um, a lot of times we uh, forget that kids are experiencing a lot of feelings in this time too. And so if you're at home, and if you're here too, um, I'll give you a second. Out in the lobby are bags if you need paper and pen. But kids, I wanna talk to you for a second and tell you that it's okay for you to think about the things that um, have made you 
sad or not feel happy or frustrated um, in this time in your lives because um, God cares about your feelings and he cares about all of our experiences of him. And so um, take a second and we're going to be quiet for a minute and then we're going to enter into this prayer that we're going to pray. So just close your eyes, kind of set yourself in, breathe and feel your body. Let's take a big deep breath together. We gather together with intention today, looking back on what has been, sitting present with what is, and waiting hopefully for what is to come, Lord Jesus. We are a people longing for healing, relief, and peace in the midst of our lives that feel ravaged and torn apart. We are wounded, but we have gathered as a people undone seeking to name the hurts in our lives, the pain in our souls, the questions that have no answers. In bold faith, we come today to say that we bring our complaints to you, our God, the one who listens and holds our cries. And we're gonna take a few minutes to be quiet and individually ask the Holy Spirit to be present to us as we pray in silence. So take a few minutes and bring your bring your frustrations to the Lord. going to read Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. 
but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We're gonna, we're gonna bring some complaints to the Lord. Together we make known our cries of lament. We cry out to you, God. Let us bring our laments to the Lord. If you will repeat the underlined portion. Lord Jesus, for the needs of children in their powerlessness and the elderly in their loneliness. Lord, hear our prayers. For stress, distress, and anxieties in our minds and bodies that steals our joy and creativity. Lord, hear our prayers. For the needs of the poor. Lord, hear our prayers. For the needs of the politically oppressed and for those whom there is no justice. Lord, hear our prayers. For the needs of doctors, nurses, and teachers as they sacrifice and put themselves at risk so that others may find help and healing and wisdom. Lord, hear our prayers. For the needs of the sick, suffering, and dying as they are alone in their pain. Lord, hear our prayers. For prayers that seem to be met without answers night and day. Lord, hear our prayers. For pain that seems to never heal. Lord, hear our prayers. For sadness and grief that is like a wound that never heals. Lord, hear our prayers. together Revelation 21 verses 3 through 7 and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Let us pray. Help us, Lord, to see in our woundedness an invitation to new life, to let go of the past and to walk into the future. Help us, Lord, to believe that the suffering that is part of our lives is a way to break the boundaries of what we thought we could bear and to open us to a larger sense of what life is all about. Help us, Lord, to accept the suffering in our lives as a sacred wound through which a new story, the good news, is breaking through. 
God, creator and Lord, through these prayers of lament, grant us your comfort. When we are afraid, give us courage. When afflicted, give us patience. When dejected, give us hope. And when alone, assure us through the support of your holy people. We ask this through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.